Miss Susie Spear. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Susie. Thank you, Trey, for asking me. Thank you for speaking last month. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm a member of this home group. I love this group. I'm a new member of this group. I've been here maybe about six months, so thank you for asking me. I know a lot of people at this group, there are a lot of new faces, people that I don't know, um, and you all have made me feel welcome, so I do really appreciate that. My sobriety date is October 23rd, 2012. Um, I have a sponsor. I've always been sponsored. I've always had a home group. I've always been doing some kind of service, and that's just how I was raised in Alcoholics Anonymous. We're going to have to separate these two here in just a minute. <laughs> no, we're and I've always been told that when I'm asked to do something in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, to say yes. And that was really scary for me for a number of years, although I still did it. And I didn't let anyone know that I had fear. I just asked people around me, like, how do I do what I'm being asked to do? Um, so it is a great honor. I don't think that I could ever give enough back to Alcoholics Anonymous what I've even gotten to this point. Um, my spirit is different. My life has changed, sure. <coughs> But something has been rearranged within me. I'm the woman maybe that God created me to be. You know, I just don't have the same attitude about life that I used to. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, I'm going to tell you what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. To the best of my ability, all of this is just my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. This does not have to be your experience. Um, this is just the way that I have done things, that I've been told to do things. Um, in my experience. So I hope that I can convey something that everyone can relate to. You certainly do not have to do the things that I did to get here. And I really suggest that if you haven't yet, you don't. Um, I, I'm one of three kids. My parents had three children, divorced immediately after. And, um, you know, I do come from a broken home. There's divorce, there was drugs, alcohol, abuse of every kind. Um, I grew up very poor. Like, I had all of these reasons to drink, I thought. Um, I drank all of these things for as long as I can remember. Um, I was angry because of all of these things for as long as I could remember. And the only reason that I really bring any of that up is to say that none of those things are the reason why I'm an alcoholic. Um, and it took me a while in AA to realize that, to be told that over and over, to work the steps... Um, and to really come to the conclusion that I'm an alcoholic because I like the effect produced by alcohol. And at some point, you know, I did not have a choice in drink. Um, that is why I'm an alcoholic. That is my experience. So I grew up, moved a, little, moved a lot. I'm from Alabama and uh, moved to Tennessee you know, moved around a lot. My mom was married several times. The first few times that I um, gave a talk, I talked a lot about my mom's problems and her husband's and her alcoholism and what I thought was wrong with everyone in my family. And what I can tell you is through working the steps and making amends with my family members, making amends with my mother, I haven't found it necessary to tell anyone any of that unless they ask me and they're having an issue with it. Uh, because, you know, really none of that mattered. I used it to be able to drink and do the things that I wanted to do, um, but it really didn't matter. So... As I was growing up, you know, living in a very chaotic household where there was a lot of abuse, 
I was always looking for something outside of the home to do. And I had two really great examples of what it looked like to have a relationship with God. <laughs> now, my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family were very different. Their faiths were very different. Um, but both of them were locked in, you know, to their faiths. And I saw what it looked like to have a good marriage for my grandparents, both of them. A relationship with God, um, be active in the community, giving back, like all of these wonderful things. And I really desired that. So I started going, I started going to church and, you know, I'm also not here just to like crap on the churches that I went to growing up. Um, because looking back on it now as a sober woman, I can look back and see things that I learned and that I still use today. And those, all of these things worked for a lot of those people. Um, but I showed up maybe around middle school age. I wanted to get out of my house. I wanted to participate. And I wanted my circumstances at home to get better. And so I did everything that was asked of me. And I prayed. And, you know, I showed up. And um, at some point, when my circumstances at home didn't change, you know, I just kind of looked around and I was like, well, God is for all of these people who have better circumstances or more money or like don't live in a trailer or whatever the thing was um, at that time. And I walked away from God. I remember that moment. Like, I'm still going to show up to church. I'm still going to get out of the house. I'm still going to participate. But I just kind of know that like God is not for me. I always had a belief in God. But I did walk away um, and didn't really think, you know, never really thought twice about it. Just, okay, this is something I'm going to do for a while, and then I'll move on. So that's exactly what I did. Um, I moved on from that. And I believe that my soul was severed at that time, too. You know, when I made that decision, something about something in me changed. Uh, I... Moved out of my mother's house when I was in high school. I don't recommend that, but I was able to finish high school. You know, I had to work and go to school and do all these different things. And so drinking was just not on my radar. I had a lot of fear about drinking and drugs because of everything that was going on in my household. And, um, you know, I kind of pretend to fit in, but I had other things to do, quite honestly. And um, I was miserable. But I will, t like, when I started drinking alcoholically, I was 20 years old. You know, I had tried to go off to college. That wasn't really my thing. I moved back to the town that I thought was the problem, you know, because that made sense to me. I'll just go back. And, um, you know, I met this wonderful man, and um, he had fun, you know, and he was great. I graduated trade school. Maybe I was still in trade school at this time, and, you know, he said Susie, he had like all the big parties at his house and he had a pool and like all these different things. And I just felt like I just never really had fun. And he told me, he said, Susie, you know, I mean, you're 20. So what are you going to do when you turn 21 and you don't know how to drink in the bar? And I thought that he was brilliant. I was like, this is the man for me, you know? And from that moment forward, I started drinking alcoholically. Um, he is not the reason that I'm an alcoholic either. I do need to say that, but he taught me how to drink. And being in the East Tennessee Mountains, you know, we would just get like moonshine. And um, 
you know, if you can keep moonshine down the first time, like it's going to be a really good night. If you have to continue to try, it'll still be fine, but like it just isn't quite as good. And, you know, so that's how I drink. I would drink moonshine and whiskey and water. I would drink anything. Okay. But these things were always available to me. And I started drinking alcoholically from that moment. And to be quite honest, I never tried to control my drinking. Like once I started drinking, I mean, I knew that that was it for the night. I didn't really care what I did, where I ended up. Generally, I ended up in my garage alone, chain smoking cigarettes, calling people on the phone and then hanging up after I like dumped all my garbage on them. I really thought I didn't do drugs, but I really thought that my neighbors were watching me. So I would only crack the garage like a little bit <laughs> until it got too smoky. And then I'd have to raise it up and they would like call the cops cause they thought I was doing drugs, you know? And that's just how I lived my life. And I was completely okay with that. You know, I thought that that was great. I got a job and what I like to do in my job, you know, I just kind of wanted to work. I didn't have plans for my life. I really didn't think given my circumstances growing up that I was going to live very long anyway. So I was just kind of like, I'll just like work and maybe save up some, some money or something. And like, I had no plan and I didn't care to have a plan. So I would work this job and I liked to work like 12, 13 hour days just so that I could have a complete day off from work because you know, like I could white knuckle it and work all day and then go home and go directly to bed so I could get up the next morning and just drink all day long. Like I, that was my plan. I planned it. That's how I tried to control it. I made sure I had enough time, nothing to do, no one to see so I could drink how I wanted to pass out, wake up, do it again. Um, and really get nothing accomplished in life. And when I would have someone in my way of that, like a boss at work, you know, I would just like figure out how to take her job so that I could have the schedule I needed to, to drink the way I wanted to. And I just, you know, I didn't care. All I knew how to do really was work and drink. So, I mean, that relationship surprisingly was just not that good, but I stayed in, in it for a long time because, you know, like he drank the way I did. We could fuss and fight and like go out on the boat he could toss me off the boat because I was too drunk. That was fine. I could slap him. You know, that was fine. It was just like, oh, it's just kind of what they do. They'll figure it out. And I had no problem living that way. You know, I liked to drink at home because when I drank at the bar, I was the girl in the corner that, like, my boyfriend was putting the jackets on. You know, like, I was just passed out in there. I was a coat rack, and I was totally fine with that, too. Um, so at some point, I decided that, you know, he was the problem, whatever. Something was the problem. And I decided to move to North Carolina because my sister had moved here. And, you know, my family has always really supported me and loved me, even though I wasn't present for anything in their lives. I would say I was going to show up and I wouldn't. I had no intentions of showing up to anything. And I did not. Um, I was not a good daughter. I stopped talking to my mom for a number of years because it was like looking in a mirror and I just couldn't do it. Um, it was too difficult to look at her and see like what I was. So I just changed my phone number one day 
and didn't give it to her. And like, I just didn't care. Uh, I had several phone numbers. Like I really liked to do that to cut people out of my life. Um, but the first time was my mom and I was just like, this is great. Um, so I decided to move to North Carolina and I called my sister who had moved here. And I said, look, I'm supposed to come visit like in five weeks. So I think I'm just going to move there. And she was like, that's great. And, you know, and she had called and set up the U-Haul for me to pick up. Like, everyone was always doing everything for me because they knew. I mean, I'm sure I had told her this several times before. Like, I'm going to move. And then just didn't. And this time, she set everything up for me. So I was like, yeah, okay. Like, I'll move. And I did. And when I moved here... You know, I can't really say that I thought that drinking was my problem necessarily. Like, I had a lot of problems, but I didn't really know that alcohol was the problem. And when I moved here, and then I didn't even have anyone asking me to hang out. I didn't try to make friends. I got a job. I did the same thing I do with every job, manipulated my schedule so I could drink the way I needed to. And, um, I mean, then I was just alone on my porch, which was not as nice as my garage was, you know, <laughs> like chain smoking cigarettes and just like drinking alone. Um, and I was absolutely like void of any spirituality of any, anything really. Like I didn't care about anyone around me. I didn't really care about myself that much. Um, so I convinced my dad to move to North Carolina because, you know, I was always just like trying to do something to make other people think that I was a good person. Like when I felt really bad about myself or I'd done something too crazy while drinking, I would just do something nice for you so that then you thought that I was fine. And, you know, I didn't do it because I was a good or nice person. I just did it to fulfill myself. So I convinced my dad to move here and he did. And, um, then I didn't even go see him for like over a month, you know, I was just like too busy and I lived with my sister and she was like, no, she's like sitting here on the porch, like wasted, <laughs> you know? And so I finally got to the point where I felt so bad about myself for not seeing my dad that I, um, decided to go help him with a computer question that he had. And like, I don't know if anyone else tries to help their parents with technology, but like, I just really didn't want to do it. Um, but I decided to help him. And, um, what I can tell you is it was my day off from work. So I know that I have been drinking that day. I can't tell you how much because I, I just don't know, but I know I have been drinking that day. He, I was like near NC state campus. He was in North Raleigh and I know that I drank while I was, while I was at his house. I mean, that's just what I did. It wasn't any surprise to anyone. Like, my dad was not surprised that I was drinking. Um, and, you know, I was there for however long, a couple hours. And when I left his house, I got almost home. But I hit two people who were walking in their neighborhood. And what I can tell you is that um, alcohol had stopped working for me. I, I mean, I blew a point two a few hours later than that. But I was completely present for everything that was happening. And um, the police were called. I'd never been in trouble before. You know, I think sometimes I tend to kind of gloss over it, but it was something that was very traumatic to see and know that, like, I had done that. 
Um, so the cops were called. And I went to jail, and, like, I'd never been in trouble before. And, you know, when I got to jail, they were like, I mean, these people are going to die. So, you know, like, we don't know what to do with you. You're a wreck. I mean, I was a wreck. I was just, like, hysterically crying. And they took me in front of the magistrate judge at, like, I, 1 in the morning or something. And um, he looked at me and said, you know, I hope that you had a good time because the man that you hit is probably going to die and I'm going to make sure that you go to prison um, for at least 10 years. And he just brushed me away. Like, he didn't even want to look at me. And I knew that feeling because it's how I felt about myself looking in the mirror for so long. I felt that way. And just him doing that, like, I didn't want to call anyone else. I didn't want anyone to come get me. I just wanted to sit there and rot and be there forever. Like, I didn't, I couldn't even fathom getting out and what I would do. Um, but my sister bailed me out the next day. She figured it out because I didn't call her. Um, and she came and got me out. And what I can tell you is that, you know, where it talks about in the big book where fear so sobered us up for a bit. Um, I can tell you that, like, I called a bunch of attorneys. I did things that people told me to do. Um, and that, that was my last drink that night. I haven't had a drink since then. Uh, but it was not of me. You know, I think that fear sobered me up for a little while. And I can't tell you what happened in between that day and one week later on my 25th birthday when I was going to treatment. But I know that the treatment center called me several times to ask if I was drinking and if I'd had, like, a psych evaluation and if I was smoking weed. Like, they just kept asking these questions. And I'm like, no, you told me not to. Um... Like, I'm just, I don't know what to do here. And I went to treatment. Um, so I was in treatment in Surrey County, North Carolina for 30 days. And, um, you know, it just is an interesting place, Surrey County. And um, <laughs> that's where I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. The first meeting that I went to was in a church basement um, that... I'm pretty sure routinely would flood because the couches in there smelled like they had been next to a dumpster in the rain for like two weeks. It was just horrible. And, you know, they took us to these meetings and said, don't talk to anyone. Don't look at anyone. Don't pick up chips. You're just here to listen. And it was all older men. And I walked in that room and I know this is not everyone's experience, but I knew I was like, this is, I'm going to be okay. Like if it's just all, Men that look like granddads, like, I'm going to be fine. This will be okay. Um, and I really related to everything that was shared that night. And I got up and got a white chip, and I got in trouble, like, my second day in treatment because I was like, I want to be a part of this. Um, I heard what they said. I was listening. And they were like, don't, don't do that, man. Um, but I really did. I knew that I was where I needed to be. Um, treatment was fine, Okay. I did 30 days in this treatment center. I did intensive outpatient. I did non-intensive outpatient. I did a treatment program when I went to prison. Okay, treatment is really, really great. Loved it. However, you know, like, I just really can't, I can't remember 
you know, there were chalk talks and there were like all these worksheets about what cocaine does in the body. And I was like really angry because I didn't know that everyone else was doing cocaine to drink more. And now I know. You know? So they were teaching me all these things that I didn't know that I was like, oh, missed that one. Um, there was all of this information that was really good. Um, but I can tell you that the reason I'm sober today is because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's because I've worked the steps with the sponsor in this program. And it's because Alcoholics Anonymous showed up for me um, when really no one else did. And they carried me uh, for several years, really, into how to be a woman of dignity and grace and um, how to behave appropriately in meetings, which... I mean, that translated in all parts of my life. Everything I've learned in AA, I have finally realized that it really is just teaching me how to go out into the world and act like an appropriate human being. Um, so that treatment center was great, learned a lot. The last day there, my, um, whatever, my counselor, um, super sweet lady, uh, called me into her office and she was like, hey, are you going to go to an AA meeting tonight. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'm going to go. And uh, she knew that I wasn't, that I had no intentions of going to an AA meeting that night. So she picked up the phone and she called a woman uh, in AA in Raleigh, and she started telling her all of my personal information. She started telling her my address, my phone number, that, like, I was a criminal, I could be on the run, just all this stuff. <laughs> and um, I'm, I was pretty sure that was against... The HIPAA laws. And um, I was mad. And she handed me the phone. And this woman on the phone was like, oh, I'm going to pick you up at 5 o'clock. So, like, be ready. And I was like, you know, I think that my family is going to want to see me. I've been gone for a while. Um, I probably have plans. And she was like, no, I'll see you at 5. And basically, I remember her just hanging up the phone. She has since told me. She's my sponsor today. Uh, that that's not how it happened, but that's what I remember. So she hung up the phone, and it was really rude. <laughs> um, and I did. I went to a meeting that was my home group for eight years up until I joined this group. Um, and the women there really surrounded me. That was really scary. Um, I was reminded, like, when I got two years, someone gave me a chip, and they were like, Susie used to come in here with her hoodie on and, like, her square-toe boots, and she would, like, just sit there with her hood on during the meeting. And I was like, I don't think I did that. And several people were like, yes, you did. You're very unapproachable. Uh, you're mean. And it's good to remember those things because... And I was really quiet. Yeah. I was quiet. And um, it's good to remember those things, you know, because sometimes I can forget how difficult it was to just kind of, like, walk through the door of Alcoholics Anonymous every time and have people be so happy. You know, I didn't tell, I was in AA in Raleigh for two months before I went to prison and I didn't tell the people closest to me for a while. Of course that one lady knew because, you know, they told her I was a criminal, but I didn't tell them like what I'd done. When people ask me like, oh, so like, did you get a DUI? I'd be like, yeah. You know, and I just couldn't get honest because I sat in meetings and I listened to everyone's experience and I just kind of thought like, yeah, but if you all knew like what I did, you know, like I just don't think that you 
I don't think that you could love me the way that you are. And I just felt like I was going to be shunned or something. And like people were going to turn their backs on me. And so finally, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to tell everyone. And we met at this coffee shop and, um, you know, I was like, oh, y'all need to sit down. Like, I have to tell you something. <laughs> and uh, this one girl who at that time, I don't know, maybe had like six years. She was like, I mean, are you going to jail? Like, every, people in AA go to jail, Susie. So like, what's the deal? <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to prison. Thank you. You know, like, I think it's a little different. <laughs> um, and she's like, you're going to be fine. You know, like, we'll introduce you to people that take meetings in there. So, like, this is not a big deal. And I was offended. She is from Cary. She grew up there. I'm like, I don't think that you know. You know? Um, But she was right. And they did introduce me to people who took, women who took meetings into every prison that I eventually went to. Um, And, you know, it was really amazing to hear these women say, you know, here's how you get a big book. Here's the day the meetings are on. Like, you have to listen for the announcement or ask someone. Um, we'll always be there unless they don't let us in, you know, types of things. And um, I was really amazed that anyone would voluntarily go into a prison like that. I just, like, could not understand why that was a thing that happens. Um, also, like two weeks before I went to prison was the Midwinter Conference in January. And I was trying to work a lot and save up money because my sponsor told me, like, hey, you're not just going to, like, ask your family for money while you're incarcerated. It's either going to be your money or you're just going to have what's provided for you. And I thought that was mean, you know, but I was trying to work a lot and save up money. And here are these people saying, no, we signed you up to greet at the door at this conference that quite frankly, I didn't care about, you know, I'm like, I don't really think shaking hands, I mean, I'm going to prison, so I don't, I met the people I need to know, you know, the AA women that go in there, but I also met so many people who were, who are still a part of my life today, and it got me out of myself enough to not be obsessed with the fact that I needed to look up, like, how to join a prison gang and what to do when I'm in there, you know? Like, the it stopped that obsessive thought about, like, what's going to happen to me. Um, and I did. I thought I was going to have to, like, get a girlfriend or something, you know? <laughs> so I went to prison, and what I can tell you about going to prison is just, like, if you haven't, just, like, don't do it, man. Um, it was very difficult. Um, at my sentencing, the two people that I hit ended up being totally okay. And, um, they wanted to talk to me at my, at my sentencing when I was going to prison. And I told my sponsor at that time, like, I just can't, like, I can't do that. I don't think I can. And she looked at me and she said, well, you know, it's not about you. Like, you don't have to say anything. Like they want to talk to you. Um, And I just sat there and cried the whole time. And they, I mean, they told me that they forgave me. They were just like good Christian people who said, we hope that you can continue finding your way to God. And um, that was really difficult for me to accept, truly, um, why, how and why they could do that. Um, So in prison, I thought that I wasn't going to have to work all the steps. I read ahead in the book, and I was like, you know, there are several of these that I'm just not really going to be able to do. 
So I'm willing. I'll go to any links. Yes, yes. Um, but really, in my mind, I knew I wasn't going to have to anyway. I'm like, well, I can only do a few of these. And, you know, I was writing my sponsor through the mail. Women from Alcoholics Anonymous were coming to visitation to a maximum security prison <clears throat> to see me, to help me work steps. Um, they were sending me literature. I was going to the AA meetings in there. And, you know, I did work every single step while I was incarcerated. I didn't like it. I really did not like it. Um, when I was on the second step, my sponsor and the women who brought the meetings in there told me, okay, well, you can find someone to do the first, first step with. Like, you have experience outside of this prison that a lot of these women will never have. And it pretty much, like, how dare you not share that with them? Um, and thinking of it in those terms, I was like, but I don't know anything about AA. I've been sober for, like, three months, man. Like, I don't, how am I supposed to help people? Um, but that's exactly what I did, and that was... I mean, none of them really stayed sober, you know, but um, I learned the first, I don't know, at least 50 pages of the big book really well, you know, just like starting over, starting over. Um, I did work all the steps while I was incarcerated, and I mean, I did, I was telling someone this the other day, I was talking to another person who'd been to prison, and like, when I did the third step in prison, I did it with this girl who said she was sober, but really she was, like, detoxing off of something that she had in jail, and I didn't know. I just thought she was having a spiritual experience with me, and we were, like, crying, and I was like, it was so moving, and, you know, I just, like, to find out, like, she was, you know, just detoxing, uh, and there were a lot of situations like that, but it really didn't matter. I probably would not have gotten on my knees and said a prayer with her had I known that and it was something that was um I mean it really kind of like it really allowed me to be open-minded to working the steps incarcerated so I did all of them I had a real problem you know when I was writing out my fourth step I would like send it in the mail to my sponsor she would send it back or she would be like no this is like a hundred pages we're not doing that um, and then when, when they would come in to see me, it was like a group project. There were several people sitting in a visitation where like someone is watching you at all times and you can't look at each other for too long or they think you're, you know, doing something crazy. And my sponsor at that time was like seven months pregnant. I'm like, why are you here? Like you should be at home resting. Like you don't have to be here. And because I really just thought I knew everything, and um, they told me about myself. You know, I have been sponsored in a way, it's not, it's loving, but it's not, like, really sweet. It's very direct and very much like, here are your character defects, and here's what you need to practice, the opposite of that. And, like, you're not doing it. So do you want to stay sober? Do you not want to stay sober? It's always been very direct, and I need that. I need someone to call me on it and to say, you're not doing what you have said that you're doing. And that's what they did. It was a, as a group. So that was exciting. And, um, you know, when I went to make amends, the first one that I made was to my dad. He, even still today, probably just really felt responsible because I left his house. And um, so there, my dad and three other members of AA and me, and I'm like, 
okay, dad, I'm, I'm sorry because I'm like, ah, no, 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 stop. Okay. Like while my dad is sitting there and he's not an alcoholic, you know, and he's like, this is kind of cool. Like, is this what you do with everyone? And I'm like, no, this is like not how it says to do it in the book, you know? Um, but they walked me through it and they said, you know, when you write your letters that I didn't want to write to people, um, they said, you know, this is kind of how it needs to go. And then when you get out of here, you're going to have to go see people face-to-face also. So, like, nice try on thinking this is going to be a one-shot deal because it's not. And um, it wasn't, you know. Um, but I was able to make amends. I did write letters. I didn't want to. I didn't want the stamp to be on there from the prison, you know. And my sponsor, you know, I was like, well, maybe I can send it to you, and then you can send it to whoever it needs to go to. And she was like, Susie, um, you were on the news. So, like, everyone knows where you are. Um, it's just not going to be a surprise if there's a stamp on it. And uh, that was a good point. I had not considered that. Uh, and, you know, that's what I needed. I needed people to remind me exactly who I am and what I had done. Um, and I had a bad attitude, to be quite frank, um, while I was in there. It doesn't take very long um, to really, you know, just like live that life. It's just, it doesn't take long. I was attempting to work spiritual principles and I had kind of like a hard time with that while I was incarcerated too, because, you know, I mean, there are drugs in there, there are alcohol. I could have had a girlfriend if I wasn't not dating for a year. You know, I took that suggestion. Thank you very much. Um, You know, like there's everything in there pretty much that there is out here. And I was really trying to practice spiritual principles and it was really confusing. And I had this job in the kitchen for a while, which nobody wants by the way. And, um, you know, I was like, I, I'm just going to be one of my many. I'm just going to show up and do my job. You know, my sponsor told me like, that's what you're going to do. You're not going to fake an injury to get out of it. Um, and I quickly got promoted you know, because I was a good employee. And, you know, when I got promoted, I got like the good job, which was giving out cookies or cake (laughs) on the tray, because that is a drug, sugar, in case you're wondering. And I would push the trays out. And, um, you know, you always have a guard like watching you. But there was a girl who had been there for several years and she was like 20 at the time. And, uh, she was like, you're going to give me extra. Okay. And I was like, yikes. And so I told my sponsor that night, I was like, um, so this girl, like I just, I can practice a lot of spiritual principles, but just like, we got to let this one slide. I, I'm going to really get killed probably. You know, like, uh, she's really about this life. And he said, you know what, Susie, you don't have to do that. Like just show up, do your job. And just keep it moving. And so this girl told me several more times, like, where's my extra cake or whatever? And at some point, she was like, today is the day. Like, I'm going to meet you when you get off work. So here you go. And I knew enough to know that I needed to pray. So I did. I prayed. I, like, went and said a prayer. 
you know, and then I'm thinking in my head, like, and then I'm going to tell all of these AA people, this is your fault. Like, I hope you're happy. Um, and what ended up happening is a girl that I lived with I'd never talked to, she and a bunch of the girls, like, from my quad came when I got off work. Like, they had heard that I was going to get destroyed. And came when I got off work, and um, they escorted me down to our quad. They're like, we're not going to let anything happen to you. And I was just like, why? You know? Because in prison, like, something always means, you know, you got to get people back. And um, I was like, why? And she said, you know what, Susie? Like, you're not trying to live this life. We see you with your little blue book. Like, you're praying, you know, like, we see you trying to do something different, you know, like, we're not going to let you get hurt. Um, and it's, it talks about in the big book, uh, maybe this, we just read it recently, but like how other people will notice that you're changing before you do. And that was one of those moments, and not even from anyone that was in Alcoholics Anonymous. That girl never talked to me again except to make fun of me for praying or not doing something. But, like, in that moment, I was extended a lot of grace. Um, And so everything that I have learned about sobriety, about life, about practicing principles is, you know, you do it no matter what because, really, I mean, I could have really... You know, it could have been bad. Um, And other people had seen me at least trying to do something different. And it's not that I did it perfectly, because I did not. I got in many arguments over, there's no air conditioning in there, so, like, over where the fan is pointed, or, like, who mops first, or whatever. Like, I was not perfect, and I don't want to make it sound like I was. Um, But I was trying to do something different. So, I got out of prison. Yay. And the day that I got out of prison, uh, my home group met that night, and I'd just never been happier to go there. You know, I was like, of course I'm going to get my family. was like, don't you want to go out to eat? And I'm like, no, I'm going to take a two-hour shower, and then I'm going to, like, go to my home group. And they were like, oh, okay. Um, And it was amazing. You know, the thing is, is when I showed back up at that group, I had not gotten honest with everyone about the fact that I was going to prison or any of that. And uh, there was a man there, and he just, like, looked at me, and he was like, Susie, is that your name? And I was like, yeah. And I expected that he was going to be like, oh, are you going to get a white chip? You know, you've been drinking. And he didn't. You know, he was like, it's really good to see you. Um, And once again, like, I knew I was where I needed to be. I knew that I'd made the right decision for once in my freaking life. Um, That was where I needed to be, even though I was kind of letting my family down in the process. And I've had to learn that, too, that my sobriety really has to come first. It has to come before my job, before my family, before other commitments in my life. Like, I have to show up and be a sober person or I'm not going to have anything to show up for anyway. Um, I worked the steps, again, in order, face-to-face, reading out of the book with the sponsor. Amazing experience. Highly recommend. Much preferred. Um, <laughs> there's just something about sitting down face-to-face, um, getting someone else's experience, and having someone else be able to tell me, show me, you know, allow me to ask questions 
And if they don't have the answer calling someone that does, there's just something about that. And that is the most important service to me today is to sit down face to face with women and read the book and tell them my experience because I remember how much it meant to me, um, specifically when I got out of prison, just like, it was like a brand new experience. Um, I would love to tell you that, like, I mean, I was on parole, and I had to, like, pay all this money, and, you know, I had a job. That was fine. My sponsor said, you know what, Susie? You owe parole money. Um, you owe all these other things due to your criminal behavior. And um, so when you show up for coffee, people don't like talking about money. This is my experience. She said, when you show up for coffee with other people, you take your coffee with you. So we're just going to bank that $5 because your money is not yours. You owe people. You have creditors. You've made mistakes. And we're going to start untangling that now. So show up. You can still show up and go fellowship and get to know people and meet new women and help them. Um, but you can do it with your own coffee from home. And I'm so thankful for moments like that because it taught me, I didn't know how to manage money. You know, it taught me how to begin to manage money and realize like there are consequences to everything I do, you know? Um, and being able to have a lot of those weights, those financial weights off of my shoulders has been a spiritual experience for me. Um, I really do not have to fear yeah, I wasn't able to work for two and a half months last year. Like, I was shut down, and I didn't have to worry because Alcoholics Anonymous taught me to have a prudent reserve, taught me how to um, not live above my means. And so that was something that I learned really early on. I, I've gotten a lot back in my life. I have. I didn't have a driver's license for four and a half years. That sucked. Uh, was not easy. I lived in Raleigh, worked in Fuquay. It was a whole disaster. Um, but I never had to worry about getting to an AA meeting. Someone would pick me up. It may not be the person that I wanted to pick me up. I may not go to the <laughs> meeting that I wanted to go to. But there was always someone that would take me somewhere. And I got to know a lot of people that I truly love and are still in my life today. And I got to know some people that are not, you know, like I got to know people <laughs> who maybe are not doing what I'm trying to do. And that is okay. Not everyone has to do what I do to stay sober, but I need to be all the way in Alcoholics Anonymous to stay sober and to be able to help other people, which I believe is my purpose today. Um, eventually at some point I had a sponsor who was like, you should go back in the prisons. And this is how, this is how everything in my life goes. You need to go back in the prisons. And I'm like, well, they won't let me. And I didn't know that. I just assumed that, you know, because, like, I'm a felon. I was incarcerated in all the prisons in Raleigh. And I'm just like, they're probably not going to, it's probably not going to be their deal. You know, I'm probably like, no, thank you. And she was like, just send the paperwork in. So I sent it in several times and never followed up on it. You know, I'm like, well, I sent it in. So <laughs> what can you do? They must have denied me. And... Someone overheard it, another woman who took the meetings and overheard it, and she was like, oh, I'll call them. And I panicked. I was like, this is not good. She really is going to do it. And she would send me text updates, and she'd be like, 10.05, like, I'm on hold. You know? <laughs> I was just like, this thing is really going to happen. And it did. You know, after she talked to someone, I had a blue card in my mailbox, like, two weeks later, and I was uh, going to the prison. And I had so much fear about it. I did not, 
I really didn't share anything about having been incarcerated in meetings at all. I wanted to put it all behind me, just like pretend like it didn't happen or just move forward and just talk about my spirituality and meetings, you know. And uh, my sponsor and other women did not allow me to do that. And I'm thankful for that because I've gotten to know so many people, but I've also been pushed outside of my comfort zone, my little fear zone of not wanting to do things that are hard. And I went back into the prison where I spent most of my time. And it never hit me really until a few months in when I was the only volunteer that showed up and they let me in there anyway. And we're just all sitting there in like the little meeting room. And eventually, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes went by. And eventually someone was like, hey, are you going to like start the meeting? And I was like, oh my God, I'm okay. I'm the volunteer here. I'm going to start the meeting. I know what's going on. Like I had just totally forgotten it had slipped my mind that I was there to chair the meeting and like that I got to leave um and so that was an amazing experience of just like being thankful that I was able to do that service that I was allowed to do that service that I was trusted to do that service um it was an amazing experience it really came full circle for me um in that moment you know last year everyone's had a crazy year my experiences that last year um you know I wasn't able to work for a period of time and generally that would really freak me out um it didn't I was able to get close to people that I didn't know that well you know one girl had a concussion we were just like talking on the phone for hours and I'm like I don't know if she remembers any of this or not but like I don't have anything else to do and we're talking about AA so I guess it's fine like what do you do and I was able to make friends and really nurture friendships and Alcoholics Anonymous with people. Um, I had outside space. I was able to have people over and see them face to face. And what I realized through that is, um, you know, I didn't realize like how sick I'd gotten. I don't have to get to the point of pure desperation and almost drinking to do something different. Um, But I realized like once I started coming to some meetings in person and seeing you guys and showing up here is that I was not doing well. And I would have told you like, things are fine. Like I'm doing good. Like I'm doing all this other stuff and it's fine. And it just was not the same for me. And I made a lot of changes in my life last year. And they were very difficult decisions to make. And I was making them. I was not relying on my higher power or running them by you guys. And so I'm so thankful that this meeting was able to meet and that you all welcomed me in here and that you listened to me cry or whine or moan and groan about the things going on and just put me back on the path that you carried me for a time until I could remember, until I could start praying and meditating again and remembering that my purpose is to help other people and not be so selfish about what I am or am not getting. Because today, I have just enough. I have exactly what I need um, if I have the right attitude. And generally, I don't have the right attitude if I am not seeing you all um, and being present in Alcoholics Anonymous. So thank you for letting me share.